up next on Walking by Faith. But the truth is, when Jesus comes, the first thing that'll burn off you, if you have one, is your denominational tag, right? Because we're one body, one body and individual members, it says, of one another, all true believers, right? Regardless of our denominational tag, are part of that universal church, right? One single organization or community of Christians can in no way say we are the only ones. I want to welcome you to Walking by Faith today and thank you so much for being with us. Now, we are unpacking the Apostles' Creed. We are looking at what Christians have believed and what Christians believe today, but what Christians have believed for literally 2,000 years. So often today, people have sort of a smorgasbord Christianity, but the Bible says that the faith was delivered once for all in Jude verse 3, that what Christians believed in the first century is what a Christian is to believe in the 21st century. So we're unpacking this creed the oldest creed in Christendom. And I know that this is going to bless you, it's going to encourage you, and it is going to build your faith. So would you come with me right now, and we will join the message as it begins. We are in a series of messages where we are unpacking the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed in Christendom, that literally billions of Christians in the last two millennium have confessed. In fact, Early in the second century, when a person wanted to be water baptized, this, the, the, what we call the Apostles' Creed was called the rule of faith. And that was the confession that someone made when they were going to be water baptized. Now, the reason it's important, Jude, the third verse, says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. What Christians believed in the first century is what Christians are to believe in the 21st century. The faith, what Christians believe, was delivered once for all. Right? So what that's saying is that we don't have the right to reinvent Christianity. A while back I read a book entitled A New Kind of Christianity. And the interesting thing was it wasn't Christian. Right? Somebody was like trying to reinvent Christianity. But Jesus is the head of the church. He purchased it with his blood, and no one has a right to reinvent the church because it's not ours, it's not yours, it's not mine, it's his. It belongs to him. So we're unpacking the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed in Christendom, and we've been beginning each one of our sessions by confessing the creed together. So let's read the creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. All right. Well, today we're going to be looking at, I believe, in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. We're going to put a lot into this. 
Now, notice we said the Holy Universal Church. Many of you were brought up with a, reading the, the, the creed as the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic simply means universal. That's what it means. All right? Now, some people try to connect it to what we refer to as the Roman Catholic Church. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Roman Catholic Church is simply the state church of the Roman Empire that is still around, right? Now, the, the Church of England, the Episcopal, they have their own church, the Episcopal Church. There's the Etheran Orthodox Church. There's the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, when our nation was founded in the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment said, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That literally, we will never have a state church of the United States. That's what that means. Nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right? Uh, several years ago, I was preaching in, in the former Soviet Union. I think it was 1990. And when I, when I finished preaching, uh, a couple of the people came up and they gave me what looked like a silver dollar. Right? And it was a Russian coin from the early 18th century. And it said in Russian on it, not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory. A quote from the Bible. And, and I was asking him about it, and they said, you, you don't realize this. He said, but under the, the Romanov Empire, now the Romanov was the last empire of czars, right? They uh, basically ran Russia for 303 years. He said, the Russians considered themselves to be the catalyst of Christianity in the world. And what would be said in Russia was this, the world needs the Russian Christ. Right? They had their state church. Right? Um, I was preaching in Iceland, and I noticed how beautiful the church buildings were. And I was asking the missionary that I was preaching with over there uh, about it. And he says, yeah, they're beautiful, but they're all empty. Huge places. They're all empty. He said, it's the state church and everybody pays 2% tax. And that's how they, they, they take care of the church. Well, here in the United States, they said we're never going to have a state church. But the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Empire, when it dissolved, the Roman Catholic Church stayed intact. It was the state church of the Roman Empire. All right. So when, we, when we're saying, I believe in the Holy Universal Church, it's the same thing as saying the Holy Catholic Church, but it's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Right? It's talking about the fact that the church, it is universal. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Right? The church is in two places. There is what is referred to as the church triumphant. Those are the believers that are in heaven. And then there's the church militant. Right? Now, the church militant is the church on earth. Right? And uh, I think it's interesting that we're supposed to be militant. Not, not just sit back and do nothing, but we're supposed to be militant. We're supposed to be standing up for the kingdom of God. There is one church. We have one Lord, one Holy Spirit, one salvation, one kingdom, one faith, one redemption, one Jesus, one blood, one ascension, one Bible, and one coming king. I heard this story kind of like joke about somebody who went to heaven and the apostle Peter was showing him around. And it was this big curtain. And the person said, well, why is that curtain there? He said, well, there's, there's a group over there. 
And he says, well, can I take a look? No, Peter says, nobody can go in there. He says, because the Baptists are there and they think they're the only ones in heaven. Right. Now, you can put whatever name you want there, all right? But the truth is, when Jesus comes, the first thing that will burn off you, if you have one, is your denominational tag, right? Because we're one body, one body and individual members, it says, of one another. All true believers, right, regardless of our denominational tag, are part of that universal church, Right? One single organization or community of Christians can in no way say we are the only ones. Right? Now, it says that we're holy. It means to be separated, to be set apart by God for a specific purpose. And remember, the church belongs to God. Right? Jesus is the head of the church. He purchased it with his own blood. Right? And the word church in, in the original language is the word ecclesia, and it literally means the called out bunch. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Right? Particularly early in Christendom, there were, there were people who would literally go and cloister themselves away. We had, we had Christians who would go and live in caves for 20 years at a time. Right? Never wanting to go out, never wanting to, to see anybody, just get alone. There's uh, one man who lived on a pole, 20-foot-tall pole with a 9 by 9 platform on top, and he lived up there for over 20 years, right, trying to separate himself, trying to be holy to God. But what the Bible tells us is we're to be in the world but not of the world, right? We're, we're part of a different kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. My favorite translation of that verse is, for he rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. When you become a Christian, you literally become a part of a different kingdom. No longer under the domain of darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom, but you're translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. Right? Now, God wants every believer not to just be a part of, of the universal church, but he wants every believer to be a part of a local church, all right? A local expression of that universal church. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is as the manner or custom of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. It says, don't get isolated. Don't separate yourself. It says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. In Ephesians 4, it gives us one of the reasons. It says in verse 11 that he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Right? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Let me just take a little side journey here. One of the biggest problems in the church is that we think that there's a few people that, that are professionals and they're supposed to do the stuff of the church. They're supposed to do the work of the church. But the Bible says that my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Right? And when we get the idea that there's just going to be a couple of people that are going to do stuff and then all the rest of us are P.O. Prisoners of pews, all right? And we just kind of sit there, all right? We end up with a very ineffective church, all right? 
And, and everybody should be a part of a local body, be involved in that local body. Right? Now, you say, well, you're doing pretty good without me, but we'd do so much better with you. Right? So much better if you were involved. Right? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive to them, for they watch out for your souls. Now, what's this saying? This is saying that God has put spiritual authority in the church. Right? He says, they're watching out for your souls. Listen to them. Right? Um, this idea, I can be a Christian all by myself at home, a lone ranger, it is no place in the Bible. Right? God wants every believer to be a part of that local expression of the universal church in a local body of believers. Then the, the, talks about the communion of the saints. Now, the saints are not somebody who performed two miracles and a bunch of people, you know, recognize that. Literally, a saint in the Bible is just someone who God has made righteous or holy. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He that knew no sin, Jesus became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So when it's talking about the communion of the saints, it's literally talking about the fellowship that believers have together, right? Now, our relationship in Christianity is with God, but it's also with other believers, right? When we become a part of the body of Christ, literally the first thing that happens when a person becomes a Christian is the Bible says the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body or immerses you, puts you into the body of Christ, Right? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes and puts us into the body of Christ. One Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Right? Again, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one God and Father of all, one Holy Spirit, one Savior, one joy, one hope, cleansed by one blood. Right? And we need to recognize that that makes us part of God's family. And we're related to God, but we're all related to each other, all right? And that's when it's talking about, when it's talking about the communion of the saints, all right? We're to enjoy our fellowship with God, but we're also to enjoy our fellowship with each other. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, right? If you're walking in the light, you're living for God, and there's somebody else who's walking in the light and they're living for God, you're going to have fellowship. You're going to click. How many of you have had that? You meet somebody and just like, bam, you just click. Another believer, right? That's what this verse is talking about. There's that fellowship. There's this connection that we have. You may have just met them, right? But all of a sudden, you're connected. You're part of the same spiritual family. Again, that's why we can't be a believer all by ourselves. Now, some of you have heard me go through this list before, but let me just give it to you quickly. The Bible says to be devoted to one another, to give preference to one another, to be of the same mind towards one another, to accept one another without judgment, to accept one another showing deference, to esteem one another highly in love, to build up one another, to counsel one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be gentle to one another, to be kind to one another so as to preserve unity, to speak the truth to one another, to submit to one another, to bear the inherent sinfulness or weaknesses of one another, to forgive one another, 
to use spirit-filled words and music to teach and admonish one another, to comfort one another with the hope of Christ's return, to encourage one another to live at peace with one another, to seek the good of one another, to encourage one another to forsake unbelief and hardness of heart, to stimulate one another to spiritual growth, to encourage one another by faithful participation in the local church, to confess our sins for one another, to pray for one another's spiritual and physical healing, to be long-suffering and patient towards one another, to be hospitable towards one another, to serve one another, to have in humility towards one another, to show holy affection towards one another, to participate in the holy walk with one another, to refuse to become resentful towards one another, to give sacrificially to meet one another's needs, to fight fear together and gr- to, so we can grow in love and to walk together with one another. And I get tired just reading the list. Try doing it. Right? How many of you know you can't do any of that all by yourself? Right? God has called us not just into relationship with himself, but he calls us into relationship with each other. And that's one of the reasons that we keep talking to you about getting together with a group of people in what we refer to as a small group. You know, the Bible says, show special love for God's people. We want you in a small group because that's one of the places that we do, the one another's. All right. The Bible says we're joined together. We're to go together. We're built together. We're members together. We're heirs together. We're held together. And we will be caught up to meet the Lord together. He's got us together. He wants us to have fellowship or the communion of the saints. And again, Acts 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house. They did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Notice it's not just in that temple, in the large group worship, but from house to house. And that's why we encourage you, get in a small group. Get connected. All right. Proverbs 18, he who willfully separates and estranges himself from God and man seeks his own desire and a pretext to break out against all wise and sound judgment. God hasn't called us to live the Christian life alone. He's called us to be a part of the body. Right? Now, the last thing we want to talk about today quickly is the forgiveness of sins. Now, it, this is a benefit to all believers. Luke 42 says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now notice repentance and forgiveness of sins. They go together. Forgi- forgiveness of sins, a prerequisite to receive it, is repentance. When Jesus came preaching, he preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Right? Acts 13, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of of sins. Forgiveness literally means a pardon, a release, a cancellation of debt, to give up completely, to remit the penalty. So when we receive the forgiveness of sins, it is rem- the, the penalty is remit- remitted. There is pardon, release, cancellation of any debt, any payment that you would try to make for that sin, you don't need to make because Jesus already made it. It's already been done for you. And by the word, you know, the forgiveness of sins, sin literally means to miss the mark. It's a transgression of the law. And every one of us, at some point, we miss that mark. 
It's in Acts 13, 38. It says, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by the way, there is unlimited forgiveness for the person who repents and turns from their sins. Adolf Hitler could have been forgiven. Micah the prophet gives us one of what I think is the the most powerful verses in the Old Testament. In chapter 7 and verse 8, he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He doesn't retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God delights it. You, you You want to make God's day? Receive his forgiveness. He delights in mercy. It is a thing that turns his crank. It makes God's day when he can forgive, when someone receives the forgiveness that he offers. Right? Uh, that, that forgiveness is total. It is absolutely complete. Right? Now, when we read the Apostles' Creed, that's what we think about, the forgiveness of sins. But in the Apostles' Creed, when it says the forgiveness of sins, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about you receiving forgiveness. It's talking about your giving forgiveness. Think about that. You're giving forgiveness. Let me give you a few verses here. Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. How many of you have vengeful thoughts? Amen. But rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every time that you try to avenge yourself, you will be overcome by evil. You you, you get this vicious circle of revenge, of payback. But the Bible says the way that you overcome evil is you overcome evil with good. I want to think about Jesus. He's on the cross. He's been accused of crimes he did not commit. He's wrongfully being crucified, and he prays. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. When he arose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, he appears to his disciples, and he said to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Another translation says it this way. If you pronounce them unforgiven, unforgiven, they remain. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In Mark 11, as Jesus is teaching on forgiveness, he said, every time that you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Post-resurrection, Stephen is being stoned to death, and he kneels down, and he literally, he emulates Jesus. And he said, as he's crying out, he says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. As he's being stoned to death. Literally, forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian gospel. The gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. That you receive forgiveness, but also that we give forgiveness. The church is to be 
the forgiving community of forgiven sinners. And when you believe and you join yourself to Christ, you're forgiven, but you are to forgive. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells this story about this, this ruler who has a man who owes him hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's brought before this king. And the king says, sell him. Get some money. Sell him and his family. And he says, oh, please, just have mercy, and I'll pay you everything. Now, it would be like if you owed $10 billion. How many of you know you can say I'll pay, but you ain't paying? There's no way this guy can pay. And so his Lord forgives him. But he goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him $100. And he grabs him by the throat and shakes him and says, pay me. And the guy said, just give me time. And he wouldn't. And he had him thrown into prison. Jesus tells the story, Matthew 18. When the Lord hears about it, he calls him back. And he said, I had mercy on you and forgave you that great debt. Shouldn't you also have forgiven your fellow servant his debt? And then he said, take him. And Jesus said, and hand him over to the tormentors. And Jesus said, so will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not from your heart forgive those who sin against you. The faith was delivered once for all to the saints. And a big part of it is the forgiveness of sins, receiving forgiveness, giving forgiveness. But if you're watching today and you say, I'm not sure that I've ever received the forgiveness that God has for me. I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be a part of this kingdom. If that's you, would you bow your head right now? Pray this prayer from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive the forgiveness he offers me. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child, a part of your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer from your heart, God heard your prayer and you are right with God, forgiven and on your way to heaven. Now, I want you to keep growing spiritually. And I have a book I want to send you free of charge. All you need to do is contact us. It is full of bullet points to help you keep growing spiritually, right? All the information is right on your screen. Again, it is our gift to you to help you keep growing spiritually. I want to thank you for being with us today. And if this program is blessing you spiritually, helping you in your spiritual walk, would you become a partner with us? Would you send a financial gift to help us take the gospel around the world to win souls, to heal hearts? And we'll take and use that completely to take the gospel around the world. Thank you and God bless you. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, If any two of you agree concerning a matter on earth, it shall be done for you. We believe that God acts powerfully when we come to him in prayer. Please call now to let us know of your prayer requests so we can begin praying for you.
Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.